The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop sticking erroneous phrases in your grammar and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 569 with guests Stacey Harris, John Mullinax, and TJ Julie, recorded live Monday, June 21st, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man whose Prius has learned to ignore his expletives, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here for your .NET listening pleasure. Hey, Richard. How are you, sir? Just flew in from Oslo, and boy. And boy, are your arms tired. I'm not going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) You said it, not me. Yeah, that's it. How's the jet lag? The oldest vaudeville joke in the world. Uh, Fine. I, I actually... Enjoyed the extra seven hours of the day. There you I, go. You know, I got plenty of sleep, which is good because I was lacking in sleep. Did you notice I did not sleep much in Norway? Yeah, well, it the was problem, never dark. Yeah, it's never dark. You really got to wear dark. sleep shade. The sleep shade companies will have a field day over there. Yeah, but it, I, I was just astonished that we were routinely up past midnight. And, and plus, the weather was phenomenal. So everybody was out partying all night. Well, and then you, you'd crash for a couple of hours. I wake up three, four in the morning. It's still light outside. Yeah. In well, fact, it's we got getting a, brighter. Yeah. Well, we got a, a few things to discuss today. Before uh, one thing to get into before we get into better know framework. So, um, my friend uh, Ethan Weiner, who's going to be on the live weekend with us this coming weekend, and if for those of you who don't know what that is, Richard and I are going on the air for three days straight with only an hour break here and there to eat. And an eight-hour break here and there to sleep. Yeah. I don't know why, but we're doing that. So if you just tune in, uh, go to .netrocks.com this weekend, anytime, starting Friday night. No, no, starting Saturday morning. That's right. And at running until Monday night. Yeah, Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time is when we're starting. Running till actually, the, the last broadcast will be Tuesday night because we're going to be doing repeats. So if you missed right. the first time, everything will be repeated once. Uh, anyway, so Ethan Weiner, um, who you'll meet, or, or maybe you, you know who he is. He was uh, the president of Crescent Software that did tools for uh, Visual Basic back in the day. One of the places where you got your start. That's right. He was my boss. Uh, he pointed me to this great website uh, at shrinkster.com slash 1E9B. And the story is, and this is from Home Studio Guru, uh, Thomas Edison's voice resurrected from 80-year-old lost recording format. Wow. And there's a YouTube video there or a, you know just a flash video or something. But it says, to hear an ailing 82-year-old Thomas Edison speak with the great inventor's voice, wheezy and high-pitched, growing husky and choked as he praised his good friend Henry Ford, who stood alongside President Herbert Hoover, on a stage on October 21st, 1929, is catching lightning in a bottle. And that's exactly what it is. They, they, there's an old uh, Palafotophone, 
which was a general electric device for recording. They developed it in 1922. They um, essentially recorded, had this radio broadcast recorded, and it's the only recording of it. They figured out how to resurrect it, how to bring it back and digitize it, and you can hear it there. Yeah, because something tells me they were, they were sort of didn't have a player for this thing anymore. Yeah. It's you, a you think? It's a software problem, right? Yeah. So, uh, shrinkster.com slash 1E9B for that. All right, let's get into Better Know Framework. All right. Every once in a while, something crosses my desk. I just got to share it. So, got to talk about it. Yeah. So, for Better Know Framework today, I want to talk briefly about the features supported or not supported in Silverlight for Windows Phone. Oh. If you go to Shrinkster 1E9A, there's a document there. And the things that are supported, we've all heard, but maybe you haven't heard them laid out. Input, UI rendering, media, deep zoom, uh, common language runtime, controls, layout, data binding, isolated storage, link, networking, specifically HTTP web request and web client, Windows Communication Foundation, XAML, ZAP packaging, and XML serialization. But there are some things that are not supported including the new Silverlight 4 features, uh, and then there's a link to those, browser host, dynamic language runtime, expression trees, HTML DOM bridge, JavaScript programmability, system.reflection.emit, Silverlight plugin object reference, sockets. Uh-oh. Yeah, no sockets. And that's that was the thing that crossed my desk that I... Had to mention this on Better Know Framework. There's no sockets. There's no JSON serialization either. Interesting. So the Silverlight SDK features that aren't supported are WPF controls, obviously. WCF data services. Yeah. Duplex communications over HTTP. JSON serialization. RSS and Atom feed syndication. You can consume RSS, of course, but you can't really syndicate, nor would you really want to. But yeah, that sounds like something you should do on the phone anyway. But sockets and JSON not supported. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. As and of it, right now. Admittedly, this is the first try, right? Yeah, so. as of right now. So, you know, hopefully we're doing you a little bit of, saving you a little bit of time in case you were thinking you were going to write, you know, the next big sockets application on Windows Phone. <laughs> anyway, Who would Richard, think that? Who would think that? <laughs> Who's talking to us? Oh, you want an email, do you? Yeah. Uh, this is an interesting one because the subject line is Australia. Uh-huh. Hi, Carl and Richard. Loving the show, but I have a serious issue with recent episode 563. Dun, dun, in that, dun. you answered an email about going to Tech at Australia and New Zealand, but I think you're missing out on a better trip, South Africa. Mm. Some highlights for your trip. It's Africa. Wild animals are everywhere. Not lions and elephants. Those are in zoos and game parks, but we have some really wild developers here. Okay. We are better than Oz slash New Zealand. Just look at the rugby results. Long rivalry between our three countries, and we always win. Well, at least this year. <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure they haven't always won. I'm really sure about that, actually. And a bit of a late notice, but we're having the Soccer World Cup this Friday. Of course, this is a couple of month, uh, weeks ago. So maybe you can use the time machine or something. I hope to see you in Africa soon. Robert McLean. Uh, an MVP from South Africa. Robert, we have received an invitation to South Africa. We've not been able to go yet, but it's definitely a, on our list. Just because of a scheduling conflict. Are, what's that? Just because of a schedule conflict. Yeah, just scheduling, trying to get everything in. We want to, we want to do it all. We want to be everywhere. Uh, it looks like Australia and New Zealand is going to happen. It's getting closer. Yeah, that's right. We have been invited to Tech at Australia and New Zealand, and uh, our calendar is free that that span of time in August, so uh, I think we're going to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm only going to believe it when we buy the airfare. So when we have our tickets in hand, then I'll right. be jumping up and down going, we're going to Australia. But as of right so, now. Yeah, we're closer. It's getting there. All right. Well, uh, today's topic is .NET in your car, and uh, let me introduce our three guests. Stacy Harris, formerly known as Charles Stacy Harris III, but don't ever call him Charles, is a senior software architect with Microsoft Services. Stacy's been part of Microsoft's field services organization since 1992. In that time, he's developed a wide range of software, including device drivers for custom hardware, 
customer service applications, e-commerce websites, prototypes for advanced aircraft instrumentation, and was even on loan to the Microsoft Cluster server development team for a short time. Stacy has a degree in theoretical mathematics and is entirely self-taught in software development. His first programming was at the age of 12 when his father bought him a book on the 8080 and Z80 assembly language, but because his family couldn't afford a computer, he wrote all of his code on paper and ran it in his imagination. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, our second guest is John Mullinax. John is Platform Strategy Advisor with Microsoft's Platform Evangelism team. He works primarily with business and technology leaders at Microsoft customer accounts to help identify ways customers can dramatically improve their business with Microsoft's emerging technologies and then Marshall's resources to get those solutions built as showcase examples that will inspire others to get the most of Microsoft technologies. Prior to joining Microsoft, John worked at Ford Motor Company on a range of projects, including in-vehicle computing strategy, enterprise architecture, project management, and IT strategy. Before Ford, John worked in elections administration for the Secretary of State in the state of Washington and also served as a director of elections for Douglas County, Washington. T.J. Julie is a technical expert at Ford Motor Company's Infotronics Research and Advanced Engineering Organization based in Dearborn, Michigan. His research interests lie in mobile computing and secure privacy-preserving vehicular software architectures. His recent work involves architecting research software platforms to enable third-party software development on cars. He received his Ph.D. in computer science from Stanford University. And uh, welcome, guys. Well, hello. Hi. Happy to be here. Well, I'd like you to identify each of your voices when you first speak, but uh, I'd like to just start by saying this is a very interesting topic for me because last uh, winter and spring, I spent a whole bunch of time trying to write a in-car application in .NET and uh, ran into a few technical difficulties, but for the most part, it worked great. But I'll, I'll tell you about that as we move on. But Stacy, let's start with you. Um, the listener might be getting the idea that we're talking about Microsoft Sync, which is the uh, what we understand is to be Ford Motor Company's in-car .NET-based um, uh, Microsoft computer. Is that what we're sure. talking about here today? Uh, well, no. Um, oh, by the way, happy Father's Day, everyone. Uh, all yeah. your fathers. Uh, no, so we're yeah we're not talking about sync here. What and I'll let uh, you know, TJ go into even more depth on this. But uh, what we're talking about is a platform for experimenting with applications that are a bit more powerful, applications that are internet connected and uh, can take advantage of that connection. Of course, in a car, they're not always connected because you can drive through some dead zones. So we have to be right. able to write. Uh, software that's pretty robust and can deal with a you know sort of sometimes connected network. Uh, so that's kind of what we're talking about. It's a little more advanced uh, platform than what you have with Sync. Uh, we have uh, full desktop hardware. We're in Windows Seven uh, in the car, and um, I guess that's yeah. Those are the, the sort of the main things. And for those who don't know what Sync is, um, a lot of developers, when they think of Sync, think of the Sync framework, I think, which is something totally different. But just tell us what, what Sync is to differentiate it from what we're talking about here today. Uh, sure. TJ, do you want to jump in on Yeah, sure. This is uh, TJ here. Um, so Sync right now, so this is the, the Ford Microsoft Sync product. Um, Sync is essentially a, a device that started out um, essentially, you know, just doing a great job of connecting a music player and your phone um, to the driving experience. So you could, you know, take a, um, you know, any kind of a music player, uh, you know, made by Microsoft, Apple, or even just, um, you know, a thumb, a USB thumb drive with some MP3s on it, plug it in, and Sync would actually um, essentially index all the songs on the um, the drive and uh, you could use essentially voice recognition to control playback. So you could actually perform fairly sophisticated queries, you know, 
thing, you know, play songs from Britney Spears, let's say. Um, and it would actually find all the songs by Britney Spears and arrange it in a, a playlist for you. Um, and this really kind of saves you the trouble of, um, you know, going through and actually trying to manipulate a screen or scroll through playlists um, that may have to be predefined or, you know, imagine having to scroll through 6,000 songs on, um, you know, any <laughs> music player out there. Uh, it can become quite frustrating. So, um, you know, this is really kind of the, the voice control that uh, was kind of the, the breakthrough with uh, the first generation of sync. Well, John, that's exactly what my application did. And um, I'm, and that part of it I got working really well. And uh, I was using an A-Open box, which is one of the boxes that Richard likes to take around to uh, conferences and show as his portable data center. They're these little, um, I don't know, what are they, Richard, like five inches square by maybe yeah, two six and a half. Six. six by six. Like three and a half high, four high, something like that. And, uh, you know, little Windows 7 box running on an SSD that I had wired in through the power system. So when it got a power signal, it went into hibernate mode. And uh, I could just say into a microphone, you know, play New York State of Mind, and it would, you know, start playing. Or I could say, you know, play the album 52nd Street or whatever. So that that part I got working, the part that um, made me stop was I actually connected with an AT&T USB card and trying to get that connection to either stay connected or not blow up or or, you know, be able to boot the computer with the thing in. Just there were so many little problems with that uh, that I just decided to, to stop developing it. But anyway, so that's what Sync is. And uh, so let's talk a little bit more about this. This uh, What are we calling this software? Uh, this is TJ. We uh, codenamed it Fiestaware. Um, because it's it's technically kind of a software hardware platform built on the new Ford Fiesta that's just now um, being released in North America. Okay, Fiesta. This is this was the site AmericanJourney2.com. Uh, yeah. So we so that's uh so maybe maybe I can just kind of back up and, and give kind of like a little bit of an overview of how we use the Fiestaware uh, software. Um, so. You know, in collaboration with uh, Microsoft and um, a company called Cumulux, we created this, you know, software, uh, essentially middleware. Um, and then I went off to the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor and co-taught a class there with some professors in computer science, uh, where we got a bunch of computer science students and a bunch of school of information students that had a focus on uh, human computer interaction. Um, and basically offered a you know a semester long course um, uh, in which students actually designed software programs for the vehicle, and so these would be deployed to the vehicle, tested in the vehicle, and then ultimately um, we held a design competition, and the winning um, team of students actually uh, was sponsored to go on a road trip with us uh, cross country to um, San Francisco to attend Maker Fair, mm-hmm. um, and so it's that combination of the, the the class, the road trip, and Maker Fair that we called American Journey 2.0. Cool. And, and it used the Fiestaware platform as the foundation for the class. Right. One of the problems that I had that I imagine you're running into as well, if you say you're using the full desktop platform, is just little dialog boxes that pop up and stop things in its track in Windows that, without a screen and a mouse, are kind of hard to deal with. Um, you know, actually, to be honest, we, so all of our apps kind of went into full screen mode and the, um, inside the vehicle, we had a, I believe it was a 10.2 inch, um, touch screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we could, we could actually interact with the software, you know, sort of as you would with a desktop. Um, I mean, obviously you don't want to have like a really small mouse pointer and small buttons, but, um, and then we, you know, really tested out the app the applications quite a bit. So we, we didn't really have any of these kind of like pop-up issues. Right. I mean, we're, we're running in a very uh, constrained environment. So there's, there's not, uh, aside from just sort of the standard Windows install, and, and even there, you know, there's a lot that you can just not activate, a lot of services that you cannot run. But uh, really the only thing running uh, on that box is our application. So you strip off all the other services that aren't required and break it down to a bare minimum. Don't you still have 
you know, Windows likes to pop up and nag every once in a while just for, you know, various things. Do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, you know, I mean, maybe we got lucky, but, um, you know, essentially once we booted into the desktop, we had a, you know, a script that would automatically start our app. And, um, once it got there, it was actually very good with, you know, I, I mean, personally, I don't think I experienced any, any kind of like unwanted pop-ups. I mean, okay. yeah, our app was the only thing running. So we had, we had nothing going on in the background except for, you know, regular OS threads. We debated whether or not to actually run this on Windows Embedded Standard 7, the new uh, Windows Embedded operating system, because then that would give us that greater control over what was actually running on the box, and we could package up a special build of the OS. But we actually thought in the end that it was better to stick with Windows 7 primarily because we wanted this to be really accessible to people and to feel really accessible to people. Mm -hmm. And and we weren't actually going to know which services the applications were going to need until after people built the app. So, um, you know, in in an environment where you have a little bit more control and you have a little bit more certainty around what's going to be running, you know, that's an option. There's nothing about the platform that would prevent you from doing that if you had the platform. But uh, we were really looking for something that was going to be as accessible as possible to the students. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Well, I was thinking of using the Windows Core server which has no UI and then being able that way I could challenge myself to write a sort of, you know, um, meta program that was completely voice driven, which is what I really wanted to do. I wanted to be able to, to do everything that you could do with this product with your voice. But, um, so, so anyway, I guess you're saying you, you boot full screen, you eliminate all of the non essential services and, and you don't have those issues. Yeah, pretty much. Do you are you using are you using voice command as well? Um, so yeah, that was actually included as part of the platform. Um, and in the end, um, you know, we had maybe like a couple of teams that took advantage of it. Um, in in the end, kind of most most student teams actually just used the touch screen with kind of soft buttons. Okay. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you about JustMock. Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools, JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at Telerik.com JustMock. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com Telerik. Yeah, I gotta think the synthesis of touchscreen and voice is pretty compelling. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, definitely, I think that was kind of, you know, on my wish list for how I would have improved maybe the class. Um, you know, maybe making the uh, the voice recognition APIs a little bit easier to use, perhaps. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think that there's a lot of you know call for voice driven apps in the car. When you say soft buttons, one of my one of my thing, and I keep I hate to keep bringing up my application, but you know, I'm just this is what I have to relate to. I, I installed a mouse, well, a very small mouse that had a that just had one button um, set to when I help, was holding the button down, then it would be listening to my voice. Because obviously the problem is, you know, you've got a lot of passengers in the car, you've got noise, and, you know, I can imagine your passengers would love to have a field day trying to mess up your software if they could just shout stuff out to it. Do you guys do the same kind of thing, have a have a button that is must be depressed in order for... Yeah, yeah, I think that, that drastically simplifies the, um, the problem of, you know, when to recognize speech, and, you know, it, it essentially solves the problem of kind of like missed recognitions, where you could... Exactly like you say, you know, you'll be having a conversation and all of a sudden the car just does something because you spoke a phrase that, you know, was actually a command. Yeah. Actually, sync works pretty much the same way. When you push a button right. on your steering wheel, you know, there's an audible prompt and that lets you as a user know that now is the time to speak the command that you want to, that you want to deliver to the machine. And, uh, the, the platform actually, the Fiestaware platform would allow uh, pretty much the same behavior. Awesome. Right. This is Stacy. So even in a, uh, with a constrained, vocabulary the car is pretty noisy and you know they're just just me doing some experiments there are times where you know if you're in a noisy environment even noises get recognized as part of the vocabulary so uh, and, and that you know it's like i said even if you have a pretty constrained vocabulary that's the case 
So the point one thing, makes a lot of sense. I'm sorry, Stacy. Oh, sorry. Um, one thing that uh, that we did see the students take advantage of a little bit more was speech to text. So less examples of them using the voice recognition, more examples of them using, um, you know, taking the, the speech engine and actually generating speech. Yeah. That was actually extremely cool. Generating text or generating speech? Sorry, taking text input and generating speech from it so you could have an application. For example, the students that won the contest, they had an app called Caravan Track. And one of the things that that would do is it allow you to, um, well, I guess I should describe the app so you have a little context. But if you think about a traditional navigation system, that gives you, you know, yourself on a map and maybe a little bit of points of interest data around your location. But if you are on a trip with more than one car, say there's two or three of you, you're always on the phone trying to figure out, you know, where's my uh, where's my friends in the other car? Are they ahead of me? Are they behind me? Right. Um, who needs to stop? How much gas do we have? Who's hungry? All of these kinds of things. And so it's actually quite complex to orchestrate the whole thing while you're on the road. And so they built an app that dramatically simplifies that problem. Instead of seeing yourself on a map, you see everybody in your caravan on a map. Wow. So the people in the caravan will go off to the website that the students built. They'll generate a join key, and everybody that enters the same key into their car will see each other on the map, and not only their location, but they'll see their their speed at that moment. They'll see uh, how much fuel they have, <laughs> and they'll be able to send messages back and forth between the cars. Like there's a set of canned messages that were pre-built into the system, into the app by the students. So you can, if you're a driver going down the road, you can just push a button and it'll say, um, hey, uh, I'm hungry, right? And you push the I'm hungry button. And what happens when you do that is every other car has the message from your car read out over their sound system. So if their sound is wired into their car stereo, for example, their car stereo system will read to them, you know, John's car is hungry. Again. So, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> we, and did, we just got back the, uh, from a road trip. You're speaking our language here. Oh, this is totally, I'm so jazzed about this. What I would like to do is maybe voice messages. Just, you know, if I say I'm hungry, why not just MP3 that and send it to all the other cars and play it? Well, we didn't quite get there. Actually, That we, we talked about that with the students a little bit, and they didn't get there. But th- during the whole trip across the uh, country from Ann Arbor out to California, they were working on the app, and they added a bunch of things. They added turn-by-turn directions on the way, yeah. on the road. Nice. Wow. And they also added, um, or were working on something where you could actually uh, directly edit the database of messages. So they had this you know short list of canned messages in a database, and it just dawned on us one day going down the road that, you know what, if if we just started posting things into the database, yeah. everybody's car will just start reading these things. And so you could have a passenger <laughs> sitting in the, you know, in the passenger seat typing whatever they want. So anything you said, if you're the driver, anything you said with a, and will be picked up by the passenger that's sitting next to you, typed into the, uh, typed into the database, posted up there, and then it'll read out on everybody's car. And so it's, it's kind of like our own private Twitter network, except that, uh, you know, it was it was all over the car stereo system. It was all audible. One of the things that I wanted to do is, and and this has huge implications, right? I mean, texting while driving and emailing while driving is a huge problem. And uh, if you can use that interface to do those things, to have it read your email to you or to, you know, scan your email by subject, by whatever, you know, say next, 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 get rid of the spam, and then be able to reply and somehow, you know, be able to concoct a message, whether it's a text message, a Twitter message, or an email message, and then send it all just with your voice without having to take your eyes off the road. Uh, I think that is not only compelling, but life-saving. Like, your, your insurance should go down. You know what I'm saying? Insurance companies should be behind this. I think the evidence of experience is that people take their devices into the car and they interact with them against uh, against all, you know, consultation to the contrary. Right. And so, you know, there's a, there's a school of thought that says you shouldn't make it, you shouldn't do anything to allow people to use their devices in the car because if you use devices in the car, then that creates a safety issue. And then there's another school of thought that says people are going to use devices in the car no matter what. And so you should make it as transparent as possible so that, you know, the, the user interface mechanisms that make sense in a car context work with the devices and the habits that people bring with them when they sit down. Right. This is why I was trying to do a all-voice, no-screen kind of interface, because if you have a screen, you're inviting your passengers to look at it. And I know on my Prius, 
that before I can use the GPS, I have to agree to a disclaimer that says I will keep my eyes on the road. <laughs> it's like, you know, you will not be suing us because you were fiddling with your map and ran into, you know, somebody. You know, on the, road. the funny thing about that disclaimer is that it doesn't disappear when you start driving. That's right. <laughs> right. It so, makes you. So here you are driving, and, and you have to read this thing. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> so, so stupid, isn't it? <laughs> oh. So I think one of the key things, though, about about this platform, and and it really is, like I said, it was it was really a research platform, right? But one of the key things is that it allows, uh, in this case, students, but uh, eventually, you know, pretty much anyone, to uh, explore some of those ideas, to to try some things out that you know maybe traditionally wouldn't be tried out. You know, you, you get people who are used to building these systems in cars in a certain way, and that's just what they think about. Uh, that's They think about it in a particular way without really any lateral thinking. And so... The well, and I like the fact that you're working with students because they do address this from a different perspective. I think all of us on the call here are old enough that, you know, we predate cell phones and, and, and access to the internet and so forth, but I'm right. suspecting that all these university students didn't, and they simply approach this differently than we're going to. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So where can we get Fiesta Wear? Or can we even? Yeah, yeah. So this is TJ. Um, we're kind of in the process right now of just kind of getting it on Codeplex, and I just need to get my butt in gear on that. <laughs> okay. Well, and, and the yes. cool thing about it is that even the tools now, so um, we, I'm not sure, yeah, I guess we didn't talk about this yet, but the, the core platform is built on uh, the CCR and DSS, uh, the Robotic Studio platform. Yeah, let's define those acronyms, if you don't mind. Uh, so, sure. The, the CCR is the Concurrency and Coordination Runtime. It's a sort of high-performance, message-based, multi-threading uh, runtime that was built by the Microsoft Robotics Group. And the DSS, or distributed, or sometimes people say decentralized software services, uh, is a way of building uh, little services that talk to hardware or software. Um, and 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 to be able to put those services together, to use those as sort of a unit of composition uh, for your application. Uh, now, in the past, you actually had to buy licenses for uh, the Robotic Studio and the runtime. And uh, as of uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, now you can get that free of charge. So you can get wow. uh, the, the runtime and the tools at no charge. Uh, they work with, and then it's the full set of tools, uh, the visual programming language tools, the, uh, you know, all of the, the sample services and things. Um, so you can now get that, uh, and use that in conjunction with the services that we developed for FiestaWare. Okay. Uh, and, and some of the services for FiestaWare are things like, uh, you know, Twitter service, uh, a geoname service that finds points of interest for you. Uh, we have Wikipedia lookup service. Um, oh, I can't uh, wait! All kinds of you know, <laughs> GPS services and uh, and other, and even some things that talk to the hardware and the and the car, the the CAN bus and the car. Dudes, uh, this is this is porn for me. <laughs> I love this. You don't know have. I mean, I can't wait. You soon. You better email me as soon as that goes up on Codeplex because I am all over this. The the thing is about robotic studios, it's really kind of the secret sauce. And Stacy did a good job describing it, but I want to kind of just layer on a little bit because to me this is so exciting. They, if you think about robotic studio, step back for a second. You think about robotic studio, and you think about the task of building robots. Well, robotic studio is software that fundamentally is designed to help you build robots first and foremost, right? Mm. And a robot needs to be able to accept sensory input from the environment and then act accordingly. You know, change, adapt its behavior based right. on what's going on around it to do the things that you want it to be able to do. Yeah. And what we're doing and what, you know, Ford has done with FiestaWare platform is they've taken that model and they've applied it to a car and they say, you know what, there's tons of sensors in a car. Right. What if we could expose virtually all of them and then allow you to build as a developer or a technology and a car enthusiast to, to build your own apps that react to that environment and, and adapt their behavior based on what's going on in the environment around you, whether that be, you know, your 
your speed or whether that be, you know, the fuel consumption or whether that be your location or any number of other things. And it's a really, really powerful model. When, uh, when I first, <laughs> let me stop for a second. Get, getting a little bit worked up. I okay. Get back. <laughs> Dude, Make I'm, sure I don't get too far. I'm back. excited here. <laughs> yeah. I, I really am genuinely excited about this. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's industry changing. Oh, uh, yeah. It, you know, this is a, this has been a really amazing project, but it's, it's a, it's a first step, not a last step. It's not something that completes and ends and then it's done. It's a, it's a way for people who have long been uh, interested in tinkering with their cars to finally have a way to do it. And if you think back and to the beginning of the course, and you know I'm you know asking Stacy and TJ to think back to the beginning of the course, there was a moment when uh, when the guy doing the intro to .NET talk on the first day asked all of the students, "Hey, uh, how many of you here have ever developed something in .NET?" In like early January, a guy named Devaris Brown, who's an academic developer evangelist for Microsoft, and uh, two people raised their hands. Out of a class of 27, there were two people wow. that had worked with .NET, and that was in January. And by the end of uh, by the end of April, everybody had working apps wow. that not only um, you know were they .NET apps, but they were experiences that spanned from the web to the car. They took advantage of touch. They took advantage of voice uh, recognition. They took advantage of text to speech, and they worked across the embedded vehicle network, collecting data and using data that was you know, coming off of the vehicle's CAN bus. None of them had ever done embedded development for the most part, and they didn't need to. And so it just took this really complicated thing of how do I build an app that spans across all these tiers, and it made it really simple, which is, if you think about it, exactly what a platform should do. It should abstract away all of the things that um, uh, maybe you would have to do in, in its absence, and, and uh, it's been a huge success in that regard. It's amazing. I mean, absolutely winning new minds and sort of making the platform transparent. It's more about the goal of making all this stuff work. Uh, we sort of danced on this briefly at one point, but I, the challenge of making connectivity work right. in a car, just we got to deal with disconnected states and so forth. How do we cushion our developers from all this? I mean, just just the fact alone that mo uh, that Windows 7 has a problem booting up when there's a USB device installed. I don't I don't know how to get around that one. So uh let me answer the let me address the first one first and I'll ask Stacy and TJ to jump in as well but um you know the platform itself actually includes SQL CE so that you can set it up to automatically synchronize and um cache and synchronize with SQL Azure. So that when you lose disconnectivity you can gracefully degrade the experience and then when you get connectivity back you can gracefully resume the experience. Nice. Now that wasn't necessarily. T I don't. I don't think anybody. Of, I don't think any of the students actually use that feature, but it's in the platform. Were Were any of the students using Azure, like actually keeping stuff on the cloud? A few of them did, not all of them, and it really came down to, uh, for the most part, it came down to the learning curve. So that's not to say that there's a big learning curve with Azure, because if you've, you've if you've learned .NET or if you know PHP, then there's a lot of things you can already do in Azure, but right. When you're looking at learning WPF and you've never used Visual Studio before and you've got to use, learn Blend and you've got to learn Robotic Studio and you've got to learn how to interface with all the services, it's kind of one more thing to learn. And so some of them just decided not to. And, and uh, that's, many, I mean, I think yeah. totally okay. John, and again, emphasize how many weeks we had here. I mean, we're talking about six weeks? Most of them, yeah, most of them built their apps in six or seven weeks, and then they uh, they spent probably six weeks learning, in, primarily in learning mode, and then about six or seven weeks in building mode. Yeah. So okay. So e even then, I mean, even if you're talking about the, the combined of twelve weeks, um, that's pretty impressive for people who are starting with no .NET experience at all. Right. I, I hope the guys that did the Caravan Track app don't get mad at me for saying this, but um, John, one of the uh, developers of that app, he told me at Maker Fair, he said, "You know, we actually only spent about uh, half a week on this app." <laughs> wow. It was a solid half week. <laughs> yeah, it was a solid half week. That's right. It was a solid half said, week. No yeah. sleep. It, Without eating or was, sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, they they more or less did it in you know three days, and there was four of them working. You know, maybe they were working sixteen hours a day or something, but. Uh, you know, they did it in, a, in less than a week. Wow. Yeah, intensive. And and from a Ford perspective, are these new engineers for you sometime in the future? I hope so. 
um, yeah, I mean, we we found um, you know all of the students in the class were excellent, um, and you know, and especially so for the winning team. <laughs> so we'd we'd really love to see people of of their caliber come to Ford. Well, I I'm finding in the .NET world that they we have fewer and fewer of this younger generation of developers. That it seems like our developer cadre is aging. Hmm. Yeah, I I really want to get back to this network connectivity in the car thing. Um, how do how do you deal with stuff like uh, booting up with a? I mean, do do you use do you off do you let people use their Verizon cards and things like that, or do you have your own solution? Or yeah, so uh, what we built into the cards was. Um... Actually, we used a CradlePoint uh, 3G, 4G router. So this is essentially, um, it's just like a home Wi-Fi router, um, but it also includes slots for um, a 3G card and a 4G card, actually. Um, and we used um, hardware from Sprint. Um, so basically, um, you know, the router kind of took care of um, creating the connection. So mm-hmm. you're right, you know, we... You know, sometimes when you when you plug directly, you know, some kind of a you know 3G card into Windows, um, it'll have some connection problems, um, or it won't boot. But, pardon? Or it won't boot. I found or, Windows yeah, Seven something doesn't... like that. But so yeah. yeah, so basically by by um, you know separating it out, uh, connecting it via Ethernet, um, and then all you have to do is you know the Windows Seven box just needs to get a DHCP lease, um, and then basically you're set. Well, that so, means also that you have to have a desktop size machine in your car, right? Um, yeah, I mean, so again, because this was a research platform, um, we didn't care about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, if we were discussing production hardware, then yeah, obviously this would be a very different conversation. Okay. Right, and then you'd look at something probably like Windows Embedded and um, and figure out sort of how you're going to go from there. I see. Mm-hmm. So um, the the idea of uh, connectivity being lost and reconnecting that is all part of the platform. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I would say um, there are tools. You know, and John kind of alluded to this. There are tools that allow you to handle disconnection gracefully, um, but it is still sort of up to the developer. In other words, it doesn't automatically kind of you know pre-cache things because i mean you know it gets it gets pretty complex and very very application specific right um so there's you know only so much that the platform itself could really do independent of the application i hooked it up to i hooked my program up to rss feeds so Mm -hmm. uh and one of them was a weather service so i could actually say you know what's the weather in boston massachusetts and it would come back in seconds and say the weather in Boston, Massachusetts, is currently cloudy and 67 degrees Fahrenheit. I was like, yes! That's sweet. <laughs> that is so cool, isn't it? And then the other thing was uh, news feeds. I would have it read news feeds to me, and I could interrupt at any time just by pressing the button to go to the next one. <laughs> but um, the, what about the uh, the stuff that Sync does with the voice-controlled playlists and stuff? Do you Are you able to do that kind of thing? Um, is there a framework for that, or or do you, is that something you just have to write yourself? Um, yeah, so Fiestaware has you know it has a, a voice recognition API that includes sort of this you know same kind of functionality that Sync has in terms of like a you know sort of like a hierarchical command driven menu. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you can basically speak a keyword or a phrase, um, and then it will recognize that and kind of you know. Uh, take an action depending on on what your utterance was. Um, so yeah, I think you know using the the framework as it is, it's it, you could create an interface that's very similar to Sync. Okay. Um, well, meaning, doesn't Windows was, doesn't Windows Seven just have the ability to load up a grammar and use the or the speech API rather the SAPI? You could just mm-hmm. load up a grammar and I mean, what do you get? What do you get in Fiestaware that's different from that? Actually, we that's exactly what we use. So, so okay. then the, the the key then is in um, you know how much burden do you put on the application developer to create the grammar, right? Um, and so you know we we basically opted for a very simple API that you know just lets you specify kind of like a list of command words, and um, and then when the when a, a word is recognized, then it just kind of like throws that as an event, 
Um, okay. And then the application kind of handles it depending on, on which word was recognized. So if I wanted to um, contribute to the project and add the ability to, you know, play your play your music from voice, uh, would I be able to do that? Absolutely. That'd be awesome. I think I might. Cool. I can't wait to get my hands on these bits, Richard. <laughs> get that sense, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm this though, you know, I realized suddenly using that router solved a lot of problems in terms of the computer just not realizing it was disconnected because it's always right. had a connection it has a connection to the router. Yeah. The fact that the router can't get out just gives you all that, uh, gives you a delay while you can reestablish connections. And you can always check, you know, am I with a, with a dotnet frame or you can, you, you can always check whether you're online or you could use ping, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that. And, uh, if ping doesn't come back, you know, you're, you're down. But all that stuff takes a while. So the fact that, you know, typically handoffs and stuff that they have that little 30 second fart where you lose a phone call. Yeah. It takes longer for Windows to recover from recognizing it than it would be for the connection to be reestablished. So the router acts as a buffer to just absorb those short duration losses yeah. until the connection comes back. Very cool. So are there any other features of uh, Fiestaware that we haven't talked about? We got GPS, right? Geo geolocation. Right. We got right. um, basic networking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, along with the GPS, we kind of have some, um, you know, basic mapping. So you could essentially display, you know, as Caravan Track um, kind of displays in real time uh, where you, you know, the other vehicles in your road trip are. Um, essentially, it's you know just sort of a, um, it's actually Bing Maps based. Um, yeah. So, you know. Uh, you have basically all the functionality that Big Maps provides um, in the vehicle. Um, let's see. You have um, a couple of you know social networking APIs. So um, you know he kind of like easily tie into Twitter, uh, Foursquare, um, and uh, Yelp. I think. Oh, Yelp. Yep. What's that? We we have Yelp also. Oh, tell us what Yelp is. Uh, so Yelp is, you know, is, is essentially so, you know, you can call it like a point of interest rating system. Um, but mostly it's, I, I think, it, well, usually it's it's for, you know, kind of like restaurants or coffee yeah. shops. Um, it allows you to see other people's kind of ratings and comments about uh, certain places. And it'll uh, find, it'll do, you know, geographic queries if you're using it on a smartphone. Uh, so it's incredibly helpful. That's cool. Uh, well, and you just start thinking about the overall road trip effect of being able to share share between cars, the people that aren't driving, looking for the next restaurant, looking for the next rest stop, just uh, consolidating that kind of data. But uh, even outside of the caravan, I think about sites like TripAdvisor and so forth. We could mm-hmm. do a more real-time utilization of this. The students that built the Caravan Track app actually had some features like that in their application that would allow people to say not only are they hungry, but here's a restaurant that I'd be interested in stopping at. And then different people could select different restaurants and in, in different vehicles, and every vehicle would see the ones that came up. And they had ideas about maybe building this out to include like a little voting uh, mechanism or something like that to you know come to a consensus on which one they're actually going to stop at. And it, I, I don't think it was ever fully realized in their app, but that's exactly the direction that the app is going. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Totally makes sense. And it's a lot of fun just taking that whole experience up to another level. I, had, I never had more fun writing code in my life than working on this project. It was the most fun I've ever had writing code. Absolutely. Usually, the work that we do is is sort of ethereal. There's something about it being in a car and actually talking to you that seems so much more real than uh, than a lot of the organizing of electrons that we do in a, on a day to day basis. Yeah, I was going to say the, um, the 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 fun part about uh, about this particular project for me, this is Stacy again, is not so much the code. I mean, I I enjoyed uh, you know writing some of the reference code and some of that. I mean that. It was a lot of fun, but for me, the most amazing piece, the most fun, was the students. Watching these students, and we had programmers, we had UX people, watching these students just create some amazing applications and how fast they learn this stuff. I mean, that gives me hope that that next generation of .NET developers is out there, but we just have to go out there and sort of make it real for them. I agree. 
What a great way to get to kids. Yeah, there has been this fear that .NET is now so complicated that new developers can't get into it. Yeah, it's bright. Yeah, I think this is a point to the contrary. Yeah, (laughs) proof to the contrary, that that there are here folks that are starting from scratch, not knowing .NET and being able to be productive. And Richard, you know, now that you said that, I'm going to change my title on my business card to Electron Organizer. You like that, do you? (laughs) I do. So when do well, we guys? when do we think uh let me say that again. So when do you think we're going to see the uh the framework up on Codeplex? Hopefully soon. We'll say that. RSN <laughs> real soon now. Okay. RSN. <laughs> awesome. I think that's part of our uh part of our after action review that TJ and yeah. and I need to do. Well, I can't yeah, I've wait come for to that. appreciate watching the challenges of getting uh, our road trip tracking app on Codeplex, which ultimately have failed, uh, that it's not a trivial thing to get projects onto Codeplex, especially when they touch a lot of different pieces of code. Well, thank you, guys. This sounds great. And like like I said before, I'm super excited. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Great. Thanks so much for letting us, uh, letting us talk about it. Oh, anytime. Come back and tell us and keep us updated on it. And we'll talk to you next time, dear listener, on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a